Greetings, everyone. This is Marcus Staples, your servant in Jesus Christ, coming to you with another edition of Unpacking the Theology, the show that unpacks the reason behind the rhyme in Christian hip-hop. On this show, we'll be taking a look at Curtis Voice Allen's track, WDJD, from his album, Christ the King, put out by Light Switch Productions. Now, I really enjoy this one because it simply lays out the gospel. There's no extra flair. It's just a simple proclamation. And its emphasis is Christ's atonement. Of course, that is the emphasis of the gospel. So, how does he do it? Well, we're going to take a look. But first, let's get to today's verse of the day. It comes to us from John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. It reads, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now we're not going to dig into this right now, but we'll see how it plays out as we get further through this episode. So, like many other tracks, this one is laid out in themes by verse. So that's how we're going to break it down. The first verse tells a story how we as humans often live our lives, with little or no regard to the eternal consequences. Yes, of course, people think about death, and with death, people think about eternity. Is there life after death? What happens after we die? Etc. But we all want to go to heaven. We all, all want to go to some sort of paradise, and we have a really bad habit of making that paradise bend around our own desires, or we at least put it at a standard to which we can achieve. You know, you hear things like, oh, well... You know, I'm not so bad. I do a lot of good things. Or uh, I'm not a murderer. Uh, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a robber. I'm a pretty good person overall, and I like helping people. And that's all, you know, God really wants is someone who, who tries to help people. And so I'll definitely get in heaven. But this is only a comfort. We only say this to justify the way that we live. The truth is, we really live for the next meal or the next weekend, or a new phone, a new car, a house, even a family. Now, not that these things in and of themselves are bad, but they miss the point. Rarely do people consider eternal consequences in their day-to-day actions. In other words, we don't live in light of eternity. And this would make sense, because we are in a dead state. At least before our conversion, we're in a dead state. It's our default setting. It's the way we are when we're born. Paul lays this out in his letter to the Ephesians. And he words it like this. We're going to be reading out of Ephesians 2, a passage that should be pretty familiar to us by now. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Again, even though we think we're doing good, even if we add a little Jesus into the mix, or, you know, we get a Jesus tattoo or one of those Jesus is my homeboy t-shirts, that doesn't mean that we're living in the light of eternity, and it certainly doesn't mean that we're going to heaven. The plain truth is, the non-believer lives in a total ignorance of their fallen condition and they don't recognize the state of their soul. Which leads us to verse 2. We're in a dire situation because of our sin. We face God's wrath. 
Paul words it like this in Romans 18 through 20. And we'll take a look at that now. It starts, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. See, God's wrath is poured out onto the ungodly because we knowingly reject him. We saw that in the state of our deadness from Ephesians 2. But some people might say, well, that's not fair. You know, we didn't have a chance to do good, not as if we would have done good if we were left to our own devices anyway. But what about those people who live in the deep tribes of Africa or in the jungles of South America, who never had the chance to hear about Christ, who are born, who live their whole lives, and who die and have never heard the gospel? What's their excuse? Well, this passage tells us. We'll read all three verses in their entirety. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be made known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. See, even though we're dead in our trespasses and sins, we are without excuse. God has made himself known to us. This is called general revelation. And general revelation is the method in which God has revealed himself to the whole of mankind so that anybody has the chance to see. In this passage, it talks of nature, how the ordered creation in itself is enough to prove that God exists. We as man try to come up with our own naturalistic explanations of things, things like the Big Bang and evolution. But in the end, all of those theories come up short. There's still things that are left unexplained. Things that, if we had a true creator, a designer, someone who intelligently put things in motion and created systems in order, then they fall into place perfectly. Notice that it's in our unrighteousness that we reject him. We're so caught up in our sins, and we're so hopelessly lost in them, that we have every opportunity. The evolutionist has every opportunity to turn to God, but he doesn't. He suppresses the truth and the knowledge that he knows in his heart that God exists, and he puts it down in favor of some other explanation. But it's clearly stated here that someone who tries to be good is not good enough, because even if they help their neighbor, even if they donate a lot of money and go on trips to feed starving villages, the fact is they're still suppressing the truth in their unrighteousness about God, even though he's plainly revealed it to them. So what is the solution? How do we become attached to the vine in the language of our verse for today? What does being attached to the vine even mean? Well, voice addresses that in the third verse, where he makes the point that Christ's righteousness was imputed to us. See, Christ didn't just take away our sins. If that were the case, we would be neutral, somewhere in the middle between righteous and unrighteous. But Christ did more than that when he died on the cross. See, by living the perfect life and dying obediently on the cross, Christ was able to take that righteousness of perfect obedience and give it to us. This is called imputation. Imputation, according to scriptural usage, denotes an attributing of something to a person or charging of one with anything or a setting of something to one's account. In our case, as 2 Corinthians 5.21 reads, for our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him 
we might be the righteousness of God. See, Christ not only took our sin upon himself, but he gave us his righteousness in exchange. That's how we get drafted into the vine. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not about what would Jesus do. That's man-centered. That focuses on works righteousness. Trying to bear good fruit without being attached to the vine is impossible. But it's all about what Jesus did. You don't have to worry about WWJD because the Spirit of God lives in you. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Well, that's all we have for today's episode. If you want to pick up Voices album Christ the King, visit our website, unpackingthetheology.wordpress.com, where you can find a link to purchase it. As always, if you have any songs you would like us to unpack, please leave a note in the comments section, or find us on Google Plus or Facebook. Just search for Unpacking the Theology. We hope you can join us for our next unpacking. Thank you, and God bless. It's not what would Jesus do, it's what did Jesus do? A lot of people know his death was for me and you. But do they know that when you become a Christian, that you were seen by God is not even sinning? Wild, ain't it? It's called imputation. Christ took our sins, so here's what we take in. His righteousness is kind of like we just obeyed the law as if we didn't sin, y'all. 